How easy is it to be a female scientist? How easy is it to be a female founder and CEO? How easy is it to find work-life balance when you wear both of these hats and are building a family too? Today, you'll be hearing from Margaret Magdesian, founder and CEO of Ananda Devices, about her academic path, about how she transitioned to the biotech startup space, and about her answers to these important questions. When I quit academia, it's because I had this aha moment. I remember I was in the lab and I looked around me and I said, it's, at a certain point, it didn't make sense for me anymore. You know, it was, there was no purpose in continuing then. And having the courage to give up and start something new, uh, it's hard, but it's very important because then you, then you go to your true nature, to something that really brings you joy. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before going on with the interview, I want to thank you for listening to the show. At the bottom of the Papa PhD website, you'll find out how to subscribe to our newsletter and how to receive a resource sheet that will help you in your career research. If you like an episode and feel that it's helped you or inspired you in any way, share it with your friends. Maybe it will inspire them too. So this week, we're talking with Margaret Magdesian. Margaret is a scientist entrepreneur with over 15 years of experience in biopharmaceutical research. In collaboration with researchers from McGill University, she has developed a great technology to rapidly grow human nervous system on a chip. Seeing the potential of this technology to accelerate drug development, in 2015, she raised funds with investors and launched the company Ananda Devices. The company has since won over 25 grants and awards in science and innovation, including the 2016 Top 10 Quebec Discovery of the Year, the 2018 Top 7 CEO in Canada, 2018 Canadian Export Challenge, and 2019 Cartier Women's Initiative Awards. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invitation. It will be a pleasure to share some of our experiences with other scientists and entrepreneurs. Well, thank you for being here and for giving me some of your precious time, me and the, and the listeners. So uh, please, uh, Margaret, uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, uh, about you know, your studies and, and about how, how you got to where you are today? Yes. So um, I was born in Brazil. I study pharmacology and biochemistry at the University of Sao Paulo. I was always interested in, you know, in the development of new medication, how our body gets sick and how it can be cured. Um, then after my PhD, I quickly got a position as a professor at the University of Rio de Janeiro. And so during my PhD, I did a lot of work with cells. I was studying a parasite that could invade almost all cell types. And then our goal was to identify different ways of parasite entry in the cells. And with this, what I really learned, apart from all the, the those uh, response curves, 
<laughs> that we do in science was really how to culture different cell types. And then I got interested in neurons. And when I got my position, I spent five years studying Alzheimer's disease and how different molecules interact with neurons. And quickly I realized we do not have the right tools for neuronal research because everything is in the micro and nano scale. The synapse is really small. The axons are very long, but on the other hand, very thin. You know, how could we improve that? That's when I came to McGill as visiting professor in 2008 to join the neuroengineering program with Dr. David Coleman at the Montreal Neurological Hospital. And there we started a collaboration with the physics department, developing new tools to try to mimic what happens in the brain in the, uh, on a chip. And I really loved it and enjoyed. And from this, I was supposed to stay one year in Canada. And at the end, we dedicated over eight years to this project. And uh, and this, you know, from from uh, this uh, research that, that you came um, to, the, that you did at the uh, Montreal Neurological Institute. Um, so you came as a as a visiting professor. Then I became a research associate. Then I started running a facility to develop uh, those devices. And at the end, um, I saw one of the tools we developed was really useful in neurological research, and we decided to. I decided to spin off as a company. So at, at the moment, I said, you know, either I stay here and keep developing new tools and trying to publish a paper a year, or I just, you know, go to the market, mass produce this, and enable everyone else to benefit from these devices. And that's what I decided to do. So, um, and I launched another devices almost four years ago. And, you know, it was a tough road with ups and downs. Uh, but we are, we made it. I'm very proud to be where we are now. Mm. And uh, just for the listeners, what's your position now at uh, Ananda Devices? So I'm CEO and founder. So I, I moved from a very academic position to a CEO position where I had to, you know, invest also in developing my skills as a business leader with negotiations and also with this view of how we can make a research tool into a product which is not always easy you know I, I always say when we see a picture at, in nature that was the best picture the student got after five years of research or more yeah. but when you're a company you have to reproduce that picture many times a day so you have to make sure that all the process is standardized that everything is automated that you can scale up and there's uh, many other challenges that we face in in the entrepreneurial world that we're not used to in academia. Yeah. Uh, so th this is really interesting because uh, I've had um, another guest, uh, Chris Kent, uh, whom I, I think you know also on the show, who, who had a kind of a similar, uh, a similar uh, path. Also now he's, he's also now the CEO in, in, a, in a, a medical devices uh, company, uh, something, something related with that. Um, and uh, clearly, uh, so your path through through the your academic path um, was was fairly standard. You did come abroad to to learn new techniques and uh, and, and learn new skills, and you ended up staying <laughs> staying here in Montreal. Um, but uh, my question to you is: It seems to me that 
you must have had to when you say when you say investing in learning new skills it it must have been substantial right the the things you've had to learn study probably the training that you got in these last few years to you know fully fill the shoes of of being a ceo of of this uh of, of this uh, biotech startup um, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about how you uh, you invested time and 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 probably resources into uh um getting these skills and and uh, um you know making this yourself the best ceo possible yeah i think i have to say that our system generally and and i have i can't say this really because i've i've worked in universities in europe in the us here in canada and in brazil nowhere people teach you about you know the the industrial world in academia most scientists have no idea what happens there and recently i was discussing with my son we were studying math and he said why don't we learn taxes i learned all this super heavy math at school but i don't know anything about taxes and how we're taxed and i thought you know you will never learn this and when we are comp your company you have to know <laughs> out of the blue you know we know this like i use matlab i use comsol a lot of modeling tools with deep math but you don't know when when fresh at the university how to calculate a budget outside and and, and i know some scientists say yes we do we write projects yeah you write a project but you know the university pay the costs of the rent the water the taxes everything else when you're a company you have to put this all together the financial part is the first challenge and the other thing is like you do not have the luxury like when you're in academia if you know you have a project and then you have milestones and you can plan everything but if it goes wrong it's fine it's part of the business right so if the project succeed or not you always get paid new students will come anyway you know things will continue but as a company you don't have that luxury so uh, you have a project and you have to really nail down most of the risks eliminate it and make sure you have the best chances of succeeding otherwise you're bankrupt and uh, no I, i totally understand and and agree actually another guest that i had and this was an interview in french he was saying that one of the one of the things it, it's related to what you say one of the things that he feels that that uh, he that he felt that his degree hadn't prepared him for was you know the fact that when you're in in doing doing a graduate degree you have you you're paid in advance no matter what results you you get and when if you're in industry uh, you, no you get paid once you have a result yes <laughs> and you and you have to guarantee the and in your case i imagine the quality uh, quality assurance uh, all that type, all those types of things are really really demanding right yes and especially you know sometimes you develop a tool and and it's amazing but it's not scalable for instance so you know you cannot produce this mass produce and then you have a demand and then there are so many risks and understanding of those risks are is really important for you to succeed and what i did was i was uh, i got several prizes one of them was the miguel dobson uh, cup the other one the miguel accelerator and all this gave me a lot of uh, tools in the learning process Then I went through I was at District 3 here in Concordia with a coach for almost all those four years you know meeting 
with people in the field that already had their company, they already open. This was key for understanding, you know, what what's important. It's like I, you know, I'll make an analogy. When when you uh, analyzing an image, right? You take some images in the microscope, you try to analyze it, and then you count the pixels. You you try to see what's important in that image. And and with a company, it's the same thing. But when you have you get the image of the company, you have no idea. I mean, for me as a scientist, important is that I deliver the product. But then you have to talk to someone from the business world to say, no, you know, it's important that at this day you have sold this many products, or you have a, a surplus, or you have this, or you have that. You know, you you need someone that knows which are the the most important pixels <laughs> in your image. So you make sure you you don't <laughs> lose that image and and you make good use of it. And uh, the time I spent of, at Concordia was key. This is an, an amazing initiative. I hope there were more of those here in Montreal, especially because it's free. And then yeah, then of course as a scientist you can imagine I read several books and I books. <laughs> yeah, reading. <laughs> That's the first thing we do. I remember one of the courses they said it will be based in a book and I arrived on the first day and they said today we'll talk about chapter one and then I mentioned but in chapter 10 he said it and then everyone looked at me and said have you read the full book and I said yes <laughs> <laughs> haven't you all <laughs> and they say no <laughs> this was just the first day but you know as a scientist you're used to get a lot of paper to read over the weekend definitely so uh, w- what I'm getting from what you're saying is uh, it, you know, it was really important to first you, you got these these prizes which opened doors and but one of the things that you got that, that was really key was coaching from and getting in touch with people who who already had experience uh, starting up a company and and uh, and doing what you were setting yourself up to do. Yes, right? that that that's key because those are the people that show you what's important in the field because. Without it, you don't know, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that, that has me uh, curious is other people that I've talked to have gone, have done MBAs, uh, you know, have gone through formal training to set themselves up, you know, as players in in the, the business business or entrepreneurial space. Did you follow some some sort of uh, training like that, or did you know? Did you simply dive into it and uh, had more of a hands-on approach? I had a more of a hands-on approach, and but on the other hand, I had also you know, as I said, a lot of books that I read. You know, we finished a PhD, right? We we know how to get information. When when someone talks to you about a you know a new genetic approach, you just you know how to go to PubMed and get it uh, mm-hmm. deep down. <laughs> uh, so. What what we really learned from from PhD is how to get information. So I, I I'm I'm very disciplined. I went there. I look for that. I read books about financial budgets, scaling up, how to hire people. Uh, I'm just uh, reading one now about. Uh, I, I read one about introverts and leadership. So several books that really relate to me. I had then the coaches. I had also a coach with a CEO initiative for a year on a team building and, and team play and, and you know how to to negotiate you know read this about the interactions with people um the good and now i'm going to insead in november i got from cartier uh, a price for a social entrepreneurship so I, I did several courses not like an mba for 
that amount of time because I didn't have the time to do it. But definitely I follow up with coaches and I did short courses and books along the path. So you're, you're slowly but surely, you know, adding pieces to your puzzle and, and, uh, and uh, leveling up, let's say, uh, uh, but uh, in more of a a la carte type uh, <laughs> manner. Yes, especially because like now we're scaling up, right? And we're hiring a lot of people. So I, I have I talked to some of the coaches, some people that I know in the field that I met, some professors of MBA courses. And you just, you know, which is the thing is the best book for, for hiring, for talents. And then you read them and you go to market and use it. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I'm going to ask you uh, to give me some of some of the titles of these books, and I'm going to put them in your show notes if uh, if you don't mind, because uh, some of the listeners out there who who might want to follow your example and and uh, who may be already you know thinking of starting up something, uh, it'll be helpful for them. So again, uh, thinking about the difference between being in academia and being a researcher and and being a CEO like you are today. Uh, and uh, also thinking of the coaching that you got. Um, can you paint a picture for the listeners of, you know, Halloween is coming, right? <laughs> so imagine that you have a CEO uh, costume that you can put on or, or that you can take off and become a researcher again. What are these pieces of the costume? That, that What are these new things that you got from your coaching and from your reading that you think were key in and, and that are key in, in making you successful every day and that you didn't have, you know, that you, that you felt coming out of academia, okay, I'm lacking in this aspect, in that aspect, and in that aspect. So definitely, um, I think the financial side in academia is very weak, right? Uh, and I already did this exercise several times when I'm giving talks and then I ask people, how much do you spend a month in your lab? And most people have no idea. Apart from the PI, the students have no idea how much each of their experiments cost. Um, so they have no idea how much their experiments cost. They have no idea the environmental impact. <laughs> so all those mm-hmm. questions come as you for you as a company, right? Uh, what's yeah, the environmental yeah. impact of your manufacturing? <laughs> and so when we think about when we work in the lab with all this plastic pipe by tips that we trashed every day. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. So, You see, those things, uh, first is budget, second, of course, environmental impact. Third is um, what we lack in in academia. It's it's really a general feeling of how much it costs and the risk, calculating risks. Because I understand in in academia, the principle is, you know, even if it's a risky project, that's the goal. You know, you're pushing the borders. You're going to the limit of knowledge. You're bringing more things but you have no idea of the risk. So risk calculation, budget, uh, I think that's the, the, what we really miss. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the aspect of, uh, of uh, managing teams, um, well, you were a professor, then you came and you, you were also um, a research associate. Uh, but I imagine that in, in the startup uh, universe, it must be different because of all that you're saying and all of the risk management, risk assessment, and having very, you know, very definite goals, the, the management aspect must be different. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about that, about how, uh, you know, about the experience you have today versus, uh, versus the one you had coming out of academia? Yeah. So um, I think in academia is a more 
family-style friendly environment in the sense that, you know, you write a paper and then you ask your neighbor, which is the biggest expert in the field, to read it for you and give you suggestions. And he'll do it for free. <laughs> and he'll give suggestions and he'll help you because that's how we do it. Uh, here in, in, in a company, you write an email to another company and then you ask your lawyer to review it. And then he sent you a bill for over a few thousand dollars. <laughs> and you're like, this was just an email. And, and when I think about how many you know, papers uh, I wrote that my friends review or applications and how many I review for them and everything for free, uh, it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> here is different. So, and it doesn't mean that they are your enemies or, or something, but it's just, you know, everyone has to eat and pay their their salaries so it's a part of the game so i think this was my my first shock all around you know you have really to calculate the costs of your relationships as well mm -hmm. uh, it's more like partnerships yeah it's not a village it's not a village like an like uh like when you're in an institute yeah especially at the mni the mni was a very family-like environment as well we have to say that and then you, you know you talk to everyone and and in here everyone um also, a lot of people come to you because they want something from you. And, and, and I, as a, as a person that lived most of my life with me and the microscope, <laughs> we have some managing, we have the, the lab meetings, and everything, but you don't have people 24-7 on your net. And then mm -hmm. as a CEO, I have it. Like I have people sending me emails in the middle of the night, and we have clients in Singapore, you know, all, all of those craziness. There's a lot of noise. Uh, and I had to learn how to do this. But this is more for my personal aspect. I'm not a very, I mean, I, I consider myself not a, a shy person. I mean, I talk to everyone and have friends and everything else, but that much was a bit too much. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, an interesting point uh, for me to bridge to something slightly uh, parallel which is coping coping methods and you you know uh, and full disclosure we didn't work together at uh, the Montreal Neurological Institute but we were there in the same interval of time uh, but uh, you always came across whenever we we met as someone very calm you know very poised um, <clears throat> but I'm sure that the fact that you transitioned to to the startup uh, space and that now you know you're scaling up etc it must be an experience that's uh, that has brought you some anxiety or some um, maybe even fear at sometimes of of you know stepping into an unknown universe. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I that I that I like to talk about, especially you know for the for the listeners who are in their graduate studies or finishing, is how to cope with with anxiety and with stress, which are part of life. Can you share a little bit of uh, of uh, what you do to to manage these types of uh, normal things of life of someone who's either writing up a PhD or scaling up a company? Yeah, I, I have a very boring lifestyle in the sense like, you know, I have a, my family, my kids, and then I have a very, you know, those boring weekends uh, going with kids <laughs> to the park or things like that. But this is very key for me, you know, coming home and be feet on the ground with reality again. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's really important. And I know many people don't have that. Uh, but what I remember, what, what drives me every morning, go to work, is the big goal. Why I'm doing this. 
So a sense of mission. A sense of mission. Why am I doing this? And I'm doing this because of that. So just go and do it. And and sometimes it seems like overwhelming because there's a lot of, especially now we raised the, 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 the second round. And then the plan was to do so many things, you know, build the lab, hire people. And it seems like, oh my God, there's so much to do. <laughs> But mm -hmm. it's okay. I have a mission and just grab some paper and step by step, you know, what, what I'm going to do first, second, third, and this is how you organize things and then move along, you know, and every day it's, it's so nice every day that you take a box like, oh, we just got this done <laughs> and you see the mission coming and it's so much more exciting than depressing. Uh, and, and even if there are some, sometimes, you know, you, some, some bad things happen or you were expecting something and very sadly, you know, to close a deal when it didn't or to join a collaboration and didn't work. But on the other hand, uh, just because you're there and so much exposed, a lot of other opportunities show up as well. And, you know, just learn to go around and remember the mission. It's, um, I mean, it's much, for me, has been so far much more exciting than, than anything else. And I really mm -hmm. like what I do. And I think the important, tell me if I understand right, but w what you're saying to the, to the listeners is if, if you do something with purpose and, and uh, something that, that you see an objective uh, that, that you identify with, that helps, uh, that helps with doing the difficult things. Yes. And, and I think I have to be very honest. When I quit academia, it's because I had this aha moment. I remember I was in the lab and I look around me and I said, It's, at a certain point, it didn't make sense for me anymore. You know, it was, there was no purpose in continuing then. And having the courage to give up and start something new, uh, it's hard, but it's very important because then you, then you go to your true nature, to mm -hmm. something that really brings you um, joy. And, and thinking about it in the sense like, you know, there are heavy days, these that I do things I don't like, like cleaning the lamp. But, You know, we we have to to set up a new lab. If you have the big goal ahead of you, it's okay. Yeah, no, definitely. And it it makes me think of some something another guest said, and but at another level, which was, I started thinking that I was going to do a PhD, and then, you know, when I started, I knew it wasn't for me, and I ended up writing a master's instead. So you know, it's the same kind of uh, um, process of. Being uh, giving yourself the space to reassess and reorient, and say, okay, I I can stop. I'm not failing. I'm just reorienting. Yeah, and you can never be failing if you're if you're doing something for your happiness, right? So I think uh, this is mean. I mean, people today we, we live in this society of unhappiness. You cannot be happy unless you have a certain car. You can never be happy unless you have a certain body. A certain makeup, a certain watch. I don't know. It's all this consumerism drives a lot of people to feel unhappy because of this and that. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I never wanted a car anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't make sense for me to fight for it. You have to be more true to yourself and think, what do I really like doing? So to not let society set up objectives for you, find your own objectives and and 
fight for the for the ones that really uh, that you really identify with yeah like if someone think i'm a loser because i don't wear watches it's okay because i don't <laughs> like them anyway <laughs> that's so funny um, it's interesting uh, um and just before we take a little break the name of the company ananda uh, it, it means uh, bliss if i if i if i'm not uh, mistaken in uh, sanskrit right yes it is uh, so i have been a yoga and meditation practitioner for more than 20 years now still a long path to go <laughs> but uh, and it's also something i do for myself i i don't do with a course i, I mean i don't go to a place to do yoga i don't i, I just do at home and it's uh, it's for me and and helps me deal with everyday things and keep in shape and is this something that you already did when you were doing your phd uh, and and is it something that you would advise people out there to do yeah i mean what i really need is some time of silence for myself and especially now with the company with all the noise you know telephone calls emails uh, messages like you there's so many things so many people asking talking to you around so i need some time in silence just you know there's half an hour sitting there help me just I can't say organize my thoughts because I don't do anything. I just sit there. It's just recharging the batteries. It's like you plug your, your iPhone into the socket. Exactly. You know, it's just this half an hour that's for me. It helps clear and come back to the world with a, a new perspective. And the name Ananda is mean, means bliss. And I put it in the company because before it was advanced nano design applications. Uh, and you know, the, and, uh, the first letters are Ananda. And then we decided to, to keep it because uh, it's also, I hope, you know, our devices will accelerate the discovery of new medications for people that need it. The intention is there. Awesome. Okay, Margaret, we're going to take a short break and then we'll come back and, uh, and talk a little bit. Thank more. you. If you have a question or a theme that you'd like to see covered in our interviews, you can now simply go to anchor.fm forward slash PhD and record a message to be featured in one of our future episodes. And be sure to follow Papa PhD on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. So welcome to part two of our interview with Margaret Magdesian. Uh, we were learning how she had devised the name for her company, which to me was, was very cool. We learned that, that she has been a yogi for a while, and uh, we've heard a little bit of why she does meditation and how meditation helps her uh, recharge her, her batteries to have her full capacities at all times. But now a, a question that I'd like to uh, address, Margaret, is, you know, I said in your bio that uh, you had a, a prize that's, that was called SHEO. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, SHEO is a great initiative. It's an it's a initiative of women helping women. And um, it's a group in, started in Toronto. I think now they're in five countries. And the goal is, you know, to give microloans for women entrepreneurs without personal guarantee. And this is amazing because when we started the business, we also tried to get loans. And even the government was sponsored once, they all asked for personal guarantees. And 
on sense, like many women that start a business, they have kids. They cannot give their home as a guarantee. You know, a lot of them are starting a business exactly because they need a flexible time to work and take care of their kids at the same time. And this can be really tough. So having something like that is is amazing. Although this was not my case, but uh, I think it's really important to have. And not only about the loans, it's a 100,000 loan without personal guarantee and, and without interest. And the second thing is they gave us coaching. The CEO coach was very important for me on developing my leadership stuff. Because when you go, when you see business and you read books, like I don't know if you read the uh, biography of Steve Jobs and all those stuff, guys, and it seems like they get in the room, knock on the table, tell everyone everything is wrong, <laughs> you know? This is not my style. I will never start screaming at people for no reason. And I think it's horrible. <laughs> and I, would, I mean, this is not my style. I don't want to be like that. And I don't want my company to have those values. I want a different type of leadership with more, you know, people really responsible for their decisions and not like children, you have to scream at them. I don't even scream at children. So anyhow, uh, I... I with the CEO coach was very important to develop my leadership style and make it effective. And it was great. And it helped me also read a lot of books about other leaders that, you know, got to their positions without framing, knocking on table and at the same time showing their values. Uh, the other thing, it's a, a huge network of women. And, you know, like we needed a, a marketing person and one of the CEO activators works in marketing was also a patient from neurological disease and joined us and helped us and make introductions. And now we raise our second round of financing with CEO activators also investing in our company. I mean, it's a, it's a huge support you know, and, and it's great for people that have similar values. Mm -hmm. Um. So that that's really really interesting. Just uh, out of curiosity, are, are there a lot of uh, women in in CEO that are in science? Some of them are, but uh, the interesting about it it's because only four percent, or less than four percent of venture capital go to women founders. And on the other hand, women founders most of them are interested in 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 very important human related causes. Either it's science, health, education, uh, because also this is very close to women reality, right? Women are the more than 75% of caregivers, either taking care of their parents that are sick or taking care of their kids that are disabled. So this is a very close connection for them to, to work or develop tools or develop a company in those fields. Um, while companies developed by men, are usually more related to games or financing or, or other things. So, and, and for this reason, it's very important to have more uh, supporters, more people supporting female entrepreneurship. You know, uh, most of the business are, are the real deal, are the real things that we need in the future. Mm -hmm, definitely. Can you give the statistic again about the percentage of, of women that are caregivers? Uh, over 70% of caregivers are women. And less than 4% of venture capital in Canada go to, goes to women. In other countries, this is even less. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that um, in your case, you, you, you know, you're, in that, you're inside that statistic. You're a founder, you're a CEO, 
plus you're a woman in STEM. You know, you, you're also in that statistic. So you're kind of a, a rare demographic. <laughs> yes, and, and I have to say it was horrible because uh, until recently I thought, you know, when people ask me, how is it to be a woman in STEM? And it's well, the same thing as being a man. I never felt anything different. How is it to be a woman entrepreneur? Well, but at the end of the day, I, I have to realize I am a minority. I am a privileged person. It's horrible to say that. nobody. I grew up with people that stimulated me to, to study, to learn. I mean, nobody never told me you can't do this or that. But uh, statistics show that over 60% of women in uh, North America never thought they could be a CEO. I mean, why would they think that? <laughs> you, you see, like they need um, uh, models. They need people to get inspired from. Mm-hmm. So when, if they look on the media, all they'll see is guys. It's a bit like the, the, the latest uh, things with the Nobels, right? When you look at Nobel Prizes, if you flip through the pages, you'll see, guys, although there's women in there, what you'll see mostly is guys. Is, is men and, and it's understandable you know we never saw and we never had an equal word until now i mean we're moving towards it but before you know gender equality we never had it before and when i think about my grandmother she was a very intelligent woman she spoke five languages but she had eight kids could she think about how brain networks were of course not <laughs> imagine eight kids running around the house and cooking for all of them and school and everything that comes with it. I mean, uh, until 100 years ago, life expectancy for women was 35. Uh, plus, the, the women that survived birth were, you know, given birth to more kids. So they had no time to dedicate to science or anything else. Uh, the world is changing, but we, we have to help them. So you're talking about your grandma who who you know, she could not think about neuronal development, but her neural networks must have been quite developed if she could speak five languages. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So she had the, the she had all the potential, but she could never apply it because she had eight kids and and, and the whole life to to deal with. Hmm. Um. And, yeah. And and those things changed. And uh, and uh, now you know. Now I, I guess it's time to to uh, rebalance the 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 field let's say but it's still pretty unbalanced right like you were saying the statistics are pretty bleak yes it is and most uh, people are just used to it and even like um, there was a study done in Toronto when I say in Toronto because you know when you think about uh, gender inequality we think about you know third world countries people suffering but these things are happening in Switzerland in in Canada in in Scandinavia so they published a paper, uh, they sent a paper, uh, a scientific paper, and it was written by, was signed by a man, John Doe or Jennifer Smith. I think it was John Smith or Jennifer Smith. And John Smith's paper was, it was exactly the same, but it was uh, approved 60 times, uh, well, 60% more approval than uh, the ladies' paper, which is, you know, the bias is still there. Yeah. It's an unconscious bias, maybe, but people, we have to help each other. That's why organizations such as Shio are really important to to help, you know, we do this faster. Otherwise, it will take 200 years. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Uh, and so, for you know, for the, 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 the women that may be listening to, to the podcast, um, 
you know, when you go to one of, uh, of these meetings, what does it look like? Who, who are the, the women that you see and that are doing great things? What are they doing? You know, what are projects that, that have inspired you, uh, you know, apart from your own, of course? Yeah, one of them was um, uh, a woman that is also a venture, a CEO, and she has developed, her kids suffered from eczema. And she was from the First Nations community in Canada. She had the knowledge to do a special cream and helped her child. And she opened a company to sell this cream to everyone else. I mean, she, you know, large scale made it happen. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And today it's a very successful company. Another one, it's um, a company that's doing the A-Linker. It's a woman who designed a sort of a bike. It's it's not a bike version of the wheelchair <laughs> for people with disabilities where they do not need to sit in a wheelchair every day, but they can, you know, still be standing and, and moving around without uh, damaging their muscles. And she's selling it everywhere else in the world as well. Wow, there are so many companies there that was really impressed. And most of them, you know, helping people um, with their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. The, what strikes me and, and what, what I find very inspiring, and first, I had never heard of, of uh, CEO, and but all these projects that you're talking about are really about bringing help to people. It's not just a product that you're going to sell. Uh, it's it's really uh, there's a the people have problems. We're gonna find a solution create it and and put it out there it's um yeah it's 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 a it's a, a very different vibe than than what you get by turning on the tv exactly and this is so inspiring when you go there and see people doing all this and then i, I sometimes i face phd students that have an idea want to start a company and they will come and say, you know I, I don't know if it's going to happen and then i tell them look at angry birds <laughs> people put so much money on a game <laughs> Come on, if you have a good idea for science, just go and make it happen. Try at least, you know, we don't know. It's not in, in your control that it's going to be successful or not, but you have to try. Yeah, not, not be afraid of trying for sure, for sure. And uh, well, and like you were mentioning, you know, try yourself at, uh, at um, com- competitions like the Dobson Cup at McGill and, and things like that that might, you know, be stepping stones to then making your project more and more real and larger and larger scale. Um, uh, and now another question, uh, is, there, uh, is there a way for people who are, you know, women who are considering starting something to, to go to these meetings and, and um, almost, um, you know, just, just go uh, get, have a taste of what's happening and, and of that, uh, of, of, what that group is doing? Yes, um, you can go on their website, sheo.com. Um, Let me check again before I say something. And we, and we, I think applications are open for new ventures that would like would need help. So if you if you can help a women entrepreneur, if if you have skills to help or or money or something you want to join, you can join as an activator. If you're a venture and you want help or you just want to be part of the community, you can also join. It's uh, sheo.world. Mm-hmm. And are there workshops and 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 those types of, of things that can, that people can go 
that women can go and, and learn skills that, that they want to develop? Yes, they have webinars worldwide and it's really interesting. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned it because uh, uh, I've had other guests that that have mentioned uh, uh, this issue of of you know sometimes working in a male dominated uh, space uh, or um, you know going uh, one one of the latest ones uh, actually uh, she talked about um, this other um, and this other group it was started by a journalist by someone who's on TV etc so. You know, part of part of being and and tell me if I'm wrong, but part of being a CEO is being able to present yourself and your project. And I think this is not an an innate skill for everyone, right? To to be able to go and 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 uh, ask people, hey, invest in my project. Why? Well, because it's really good. No, you, you need skills also to for that part, a little bit of marketing skills. And uh, and you know, there's a lot of talk today about personal branding, right? And I think that one one of the things uh, that this group um, does is help women work on that aspect. Uh, is this something that you had time to work on the the, mar- the marketing aspect? Yeah, so we had to do it a lot, especially as a scientist, right? This is again I forgot to mention before, but it's a huge uh, stumbling block for us. Uh, like when people ask me what do you do, and I was saying, oh, you know, I use microfluidic tools and atomic force microscopy to develop tools against. Uh, neurological diseases. Nobody knew what I was talking about. Seemed like a crazy person talking in front of the audience. <laughs> and most people, you know, this, those words do not relate to anyone. So I just made it short and like, oh, we develop mini brains on a chip to accelerate drug development. You know, companies can test on those mini brains. Sounds like, or a scientist is like, oh, it's horrible. It's not really mini brains. You're putting neurons. Those are individual cells. I know, but even neurons is a word that not everyone understands. So to to make it for a broad audience, we have to, you know, to use the right words as well. Um, it happens also once I was giving an interview for the MNI something, and then the, the guy asked me why it's important to organize the the neurons. And I and we were having lunch, and I look at my place and said, You see, it's like spaghetti. If you have, if you put it on a plate, each plate will have a different uh, organization. And then when you test how those spaghetti is connected, you get completely different response. So by organizing them all the same, you always will have the same circuitry and the same response. So the the guy published the article saying neurons are like spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> so I so at the end of the day, you know I. I have to to work on this myself to make sure that neurons are not like spaghetti, but they are like brain and not necessarily just neurons. So you have to find the right uh, words for your message. Yeah. Yeah. There's always this challenge in in popularizing science uh, of uh, this challenge of oversimplifying versus, you know, just going to the the precise level that that your audience will understand and will be able to relate with, uh, you know, without being, sorry, without being oversimplified. But I'm sure that in your domain, part of of what you do for sure has to be defining, you know, writing copy and defining messaging that's going to be, that's going to be well adapted to your, to your audience, right? Yes. And, and definitely you have to talk to people because those are the ones who pay for our research. But the, you know, back to the, 
to the public. They are the ones that need it. They are the ones expecting us. Again, uh, people that had the chance in life to study that much, to understand that much, they are waiting for us to do something about it. They invested in us. Um, you have a compromise. We cannot just, you know, stay in, in circles talking about the, this, the protein XYZ or the NMD8 receptors. We have to, you know, give them back some of, you know, why science is important. Otherwise, it's what's happening in the world now that everyone thinks science is, is nuts, like with this anti-vaccine movement and everything else. People, we, we lost credibility because we're not talking to them properly. They don't understand what we do. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, that's a real problem. And then that gives space for, for uh, the the non or the anti-science people to, you know, to gain traction. If we don't educate them, even using not the precise words, you know, uh, if we don't educate the, the public, who will? That, that's a big issue. I've, I, it's something I've, I've thought about a lot. It, maybe I, I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll create another podcast to, to talk about that because it's so, it's so vast. So you were talking just before that that uh, you have you've had you know students talking with you and asking oh is my, is my idea okay should I should I invest in trying to make it into into um, into something more you know into a startup or, or into something real is that something that happens a lot that uh, that people uh, come to you for advice yeah so I, I end up being like a, a mentor for some programs I was a judge at the Dobson Cup for well I've been judging the, the Dogson Cup competition for many years now, participating, also talking to other entrepreneurs at District 3 in Concordia, uh, also part of the Quebec network. So, you know, you end up uh, always talking, even a mon on Monday, I will be talking at a sensors, a keynote speaker at sensors conference, discussing, you know, entrepreneurship as a career. And, and, and people ask me a lot about, you know, I have this idea, I mean, just try it, right? Just try it and, and see how it goes. Don't be afraid. If you have a good idea, it's going to pass. If not, you try something else. You're smart enough. <laughs> and uh, so anyone out there who's, who's thinking of something like that, can they, can they reach you? And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and how, uh, how can they best reach you and ask you some questions? Well, that's the key point, the, my time. <laughs> that's a, this is a very tough, uh, very hard part of of my organization now that's my web, which I'm trying to, to get more time but we should definitely organize something so if you have questions go to this meeting on Monday it's a censors uh, congress will be at the Palais de Congrès in Montreal on Monday afternoon I'll be talking there so come to one of my talks I usually post it on LinkedIn I'll be happy to talk to you excellent and um Well, I, we've covered a lot of stuff. Uh, we've even talked about meditation, which is something that's that's uh, close to my heart. I, I feel that uh, either meditation or some type of some type of mindfulness habits uh, are are, are um, simple things that can help uh, graduate students a lot, or, or even you know young young uh, young PIs. Anyone who who has uh, a life that that may that may have some aspect of uh, stress or anxiety can gain a lot from that i'm super happy that we touched upon that we've talked about your career how you got to where you are today the importance of uh, organizations 
bringing women together uh, that are in this case that are CEOs and founders and and being a platform for visibility and and for funding that that was also super super interesting uh, and uh, I'm I'm going to make sure uh, to to share uh, any of the, of these links uh, in your in the show notes of of your episode but now what I I'd like you to do is you know I know you're you're giving this talk uh, on Monday but you know could you give two or three pieces of advice for for uh, people out there and uh, well maybe even you know women out there that might be thinking of of starting their business uh, or that are just trying to push to write their their and defend their phd uh two or three pieces of advice to you know to reach success to reach their goals and to have uh, a life of uh, ananda of bliss <laughs> yeah well that that's a that's a lot so that's a thing a work for life but uh generally speaking i think you know doing your academic life try to network don't stay focused only on the microscope. You have to go out, you have to out, talk to other people, you have to collaborate. Also try to get a sense of the budget, how much you're spending, how can you make processes better and faster around you. And this also counts more cost effective and you know more, more efficient in general. Um, that's, that's something like academia lacks, but you can try to develop on your own. Right, the network and the knowledge around. If you like to do something like courses or, you know, like I, I'm thinking about entrepreneurship, go to those networking events, go to the to the talks, listen how it is. Don't be afraid to talk to people, what they feel about it and what's their major challenges and, and see if it's really for you and pursue this career. For women in general, I think the most important is remember that if you're there, you're very privileged to be there in academia or in a high position or wherever you are. Remember to look back and try to help others achieve the same. Um, sometimes women are more shy. This is not my case, by the way. I grew up with three brothers. And what I realized when, when I just first time saw the definition of mansplaining, that I am a master in mansplaining and I do this to everyone and I felt so bad. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> But I think, I guess it's because okay. I grew up with them, that's how we talk to each other every day. <laughs> I don't remember anyone mansplaining me, but I remember me mansplaining other people. <laughs> so anyhow. So you were the, you were the youngest of, of the... Yeah, of the I was the youngest. And from, from an early age, I always say that from an early age, I always saw that I would never earn a, an argument with violence or screaming because they were stronger and louder. Mm -hmm. So you had to assert yourself. With and, data. Uh, I had to bring data. <laughs> then I could convince my dad of anything, you know, like. That's how you became a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever he say, I don't care. But the data is, the reality is here. You know? <laughs> That's so funny. The yeah, base awesome. is broken. And I didn't, I don't play ball in house. So <laughs> we know who broke it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So that's more or less it. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, Margaret, it was a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And uh, all the best for your project and for your scaling up. And uh, and uh, I guess I'll, I'll keep in touch and see how things are going uh, and, and what the next steps are in your, in your adventure. Thank you so much. It will be a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. 
I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests. Music